Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. improves children's health by developing better treatments and technologies. Ranked number five in the nation, we take on the most complex, rare, and life-threatening conditions because all children deserve a healthy future. Learn more at childrensnational.org slash innovation. Hello and welcome to Launch Left, an intentional space for art and activism, a podcast, a label, a launchpad for left-of-center artists. My name is Rain Phoenix. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. And please welcome to the show, very special guest, Rodney Crowell, who will be launching an artist. Just you wait and see. See you on the other side. Hi, Rodney Crowell. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Launch Left. Hi, Rain Phoenix. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. What an honor to be speaking to you. My God, you're just an incredible career. And more than that, like you as an artist have been such an incredible influence on so many other artists and uh, helped pave the way in a left of center way um, in country and and pop and and production, all of that. Um, I could sing your praises and speak about your accolades for a while, but the question, burning question I have is about the intersection between uh, what every artist wants, to have your music be heard by a wide audience and not compromise your creativity to do so. Um, I feel like you could speak to that, and I'm just curious what your journey has been, if you feel like sharing. Uh, sure, I'm happy to share. I'm, I'm here to protect and serve. <laughs> um, well, you know, yeah, funny you should ask. I've actually given that some thought. I, I was speaking to my uh, co-producer slash son-in-law, uh, just a little earlier today, and we were talking about that very thing. And I, I said, you know, uh, during the uh, most commercial part of my career, when when I was, you know, topping the charts and stuff, and uh, I was not comfortable in my body at the time, and uh, and maybe psychologically, I I. I sort of started trying to wiggle out of it in a way because it felt like there was a trap that I had allowed my, uh, that I had laid for myself, which is that thing, you know, when you, when people are, when you're on the top of the radio charts, you know, and this was some time ago. So, but you walk into a room, people look at you in a certain way, that guy, there's that guy. And I noticed that when people would look at me in that certain way, I sort of started to adapt this persona that was based on their projection on me. And that felt really dangerous. And it felt like it felt like if I stayed with that for very long, that I would fall into a trap in which the very thing that got me there in the first place would wither on the vine, which is creativity. Because uh, I've always thought the enemy of art is self-consciousness. And being recognized uh, brings on self-consciousness. 
and not in the good way. So having said that, that's kind of the backstory on your question. And the current story on your question is I've all, I've done this long enough now to realize, and it really came home for me about nine years ago when I published or a memoir that I wrote was published. And I spent a long time writing it. Uh, and when I finished it and it was ready to go into print, I, I you know, it's, it's almost like a movie. I hit the end and I said, well, you know, this may be the only payment that I get for this, which is knowing that I did it. And that may be it. You know, I was lucky the book did okay. You know, so it wasn't, but I'd already settled for the most important thing about this is that I've done it. And after that, I don't have any power over what happens after that. It's a, it's a fool's errand to think you can control it. There is this thing culturally, you know, that success is measured on how many people um, like it or how famous you get, right? And, and obviously, as artists, we want our work to resonate. Like that is, that is something that you make art in the hopes that it touches others, that it moves others, that it helps others. Um, but somehow, in a way, we've become corrupted by this idea of success to be something that's actually not part of that at all. And so it takes a courageous soul to uh, have awareness uh, of that and st and make art for the sake of art, like you say, and let go of, of a need to control or, or outcome, right? That's hard in any medium, but in art, it's, a, it's especially hard because there's so few that quote unquote make it. And I've struggled a lot with the, uh, with the idea of, of course, wanting my music to resonate, but very much always feeling like the most important thing is that I'm proud of what I've done and there's integrity in it and that I don't take shortcuts to please others. You've had incredible success and you've also had years of, of sort of not being recognized based on making choices that were, I surmise, about just making art for art's sake, or were those years more that you were trying to fit a mold and those records were more that you were trying to get another hit mm, and that you weren't right. being an integrity, you know, like right. I'm so curious about okay. that. After the diamonds and dirt and keys to the highway portion of my career, we'll call it career. Uh, I had some good friends who were, you know, really hot at a label. You know, the whole A&R department were, you know, really my close friends and creative partners. And, and uh, so they gave me a lot of money to come over and make records for this particular record company. Well, I, I hadn't fully recovered from... Uh, my uh, personality issues about, you know, projection on me and me inventing a, uh, a stick figure version of myself, as I already said. But the next thing happened is, ooh, a lot of money. And to which I went into the creative process thinking, you know, hey, look, I grew up poor on the east side of Houston. My mother and father 
have seventh, eighth grade education, share crop farm kids. So there's a certain amount of disentitlement and shame and all the things that go with being poor white, not really trash, but poor white. So a lot of money, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, I have to deliver, you know, as I have to deliver. And in my creative process, doesn't work that way. It it's I have to make the art that I make has to come from these songs and the things that I want to say will come to me and they'll tell me what they want to be. These songs, if I'm patient and I listen close enough, the song will tell me what it wants to be. The songs are Rodney whisperers. <laughs> It's kind of in reverse. When I listen, I can get it. But when I'm trying to please the man who gave me money, then I'm not listening and I'm not really tapping into where my best work comes from. So I made a couple of really dull albums. And they and uh, I was frankly, I was embarrassed. Uh, not so much because the there were a few good songs on there, but the intentionality behind the work was to try to recapture something that, that I really had not much to do with other than I just made a really commercial record naturally. So after that happened, I shut it down and uh, I also got divorced at around the same time. And, and I was in a shared custody arrangement and I was, you know, so I was a single father and so for five years, I, in the second half of the 90s, I basically disappeared in a way. I mean, I was still working, but mainly I was driving kids, my kids to school. I was developing a relationship with a woman that I'm still with today that, that fit my sensibilities. And, uh, and, and I hers, I hope. And, uh, but in that five-year span, when I came back to make this record called The Houston Kid, which for me was the beginning of my recording career. Everything that I'd done before was not fully formed for me, even though some of it had been commercially very successful. But since that five-year time when I was quiet, I've been listening to the songs and, you know, they speak to me and on a good day, if I'll get, I'll get a verse, you know, you know, but it's now I spend a lot of time with the songs and being really careful to know what they're trying to say and what, what I need to, to do to make them as true as I can. So ever since then, I really think my recording career that when I'm gone, you know, and my children want to hold up something that their dad did, I'll say, start with the year 2001 when I made The Houston Kid, and you can hold up every record I've made since then and know that I stand behind it, whereas I don't before that. Uh, when you speak about the songs, you know, Rodney whispering, uh, how did music first find you as a young person? My father was a better singer than I. 
and my father was a sharecrop farm kid. So, and, you know, his disentitlement that I mentioned earlier was that I don't think the world coming from the Depression era on a, on a sharecrop farm into Houston, he's, he had this natural gift for remembering songs. He didn't write any. But he just he'd hear a song once or twice, and he had it. And it, it was it was Hank. It was you know going back to '30s uh, Roy Acuff country songs. You know that really pre-war, and then all the the wartime. You know Eddie Arnold, and then Hank Williams and Hank Snow, and all of that. I grew up hearing that music from a you know from two and a half years old own is what I heard and the so they were it was song 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 and my parents let me have a little record player and you know by the age four I could play Hank Williams 78s on the floor I could get them on the turntable so that was music for me and then my father had a, a local band and uh, played in honky-tonks really you know ice houses and beer joints six or eight dancing couples you know that kind of thing and so music was always there, and, and he got me started playing drums at the age of 11. Um, not very well, but he did let me go out and play with him, and, and, you know, and, and the experience was there. I mean, I did not play well, but it meant he didn't have to pay a drummer. He made an extra $5, me being back there. And then I was a perfect age, you know, I, I came of age... My adolescence, you know, I hit puberty at you know, 64 when, when the Beatles came and when Dylan showed up and, and, you know, the culture was exploding and there was sounds and, and I was just, it was just a good, it was a good time to come of age uh, because the music was really fresh and it was, and I'm reminded of my, my, my oldest daughter who disappeared upstairs, you know, about the same age and she came down from having listened to the doors and and to the beatles and to to all all of this music that she had taken out of my record collection she came walking down one day and she said hey dad i know what integrity is and that she gleaned from listening to music and i thought right you know and i think that you know that burst 64 65 in there it was there was a lot of integrity that you can latch on to and even you know being a teenager and getting a, you know my little bands together and playing in our own little innocent way we had some sort of attachment to some kind of integrity that that we wanted to get across we're artists you know we're, we're beginners but you know if we do this right it's it's meaningful. Hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for uh, expounding on that. And I know that, um, you know, you had a complex relationship with your father. And actually, we share a couple things, which is that I was born in Texas. Wait. And uh, I was in Crockett, a little town called Crockett, Texas. I know, I know Crockett. Yeah. And, um, and I think we both, if I'm not mistaken, made records about loss. My, I lost my brother in 1993. Um, and recently, um, 
put out my first solo record, River was the name of it. Um, and I know that you did as well. And I guess I just, you know, the process for me, I didn't even realize sort of what um, I was getting into till I was in it. But I guess the thing I connect with it is that actually my dad had just passed before I made the record. And I was able to be with him closely before his passing and to care for him um, when I hadn't seen him for a very long time prior to that. Mm. And that was really um, transformative. And I truly think that it was the thing that unlocked my ability to write about the grief and loss of my brother. I lost him when I was 19. And I think I'd locked up a lot of that um, for being a kid, you know, and not understanding how to process very well. And so uh, my dad's passing was so archetypal, that kind of pain that I wasn't even aware until it happened, you know, losing a parent. And I know that you wrote uh, a record, I think a whole record, but certainly some, some songs during the time that you lost your dad. I don't know, it was striking to me how making a record about loss and grief wasn't something I'd heard a lot about, right? Um, mm-hmm. That it's not a prevalent thing. So when I heard that about you, I just thought like, wow, you know, I know what that process was like for me, or certainly that kind of affirming something happened, traumatic happened, and I had to just talk about it, right? And it was very cathartic, the experience. Did that help you, I guess, is the question, to be able yeah. to write about it? Yes, um- Yes, but before I fully answer that question as well as I can, uh, I worked with your brother uh, in 1992 on on a film called Thing Called Love. He came down, he came to Nashville, and and, uh, I worked with him on, you know, just, we just played songs and talked about songs, and my, my job was just to kind of, coach him toward performing the songs. Wow. And, 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 uh, and I realized pretty quickly, I said, hmm, this, he doesn't need to be coached because he has a, you know, he has a sensibility that's all his own. And it was, it was very powerful. I, you know, at the time, I don't know, what was he, 22, 23? I'm not sure what, what age it was, but I'm sorry for your loss. And, and, uh, Thank you. I got to spend a little time with him, and, and he was a real beautiful young man. So, Yeah. Uh, the, oh, I'm so glad you shared. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. Yes. Wow. I know that he yeah. um, had such an amazing time on that film. He got to work with so many legends in music, and I remember him being really excited about it. Music was always his first passion um, and kind of fell into acting. But he and I have been singing and playing music since I was three and he was five. We were like a unit. I would sing and he'd write and then, you know, he had a great voice. And so we had a band. And and so that was, like I said, all of that, you know, it was really hard for me to restart after all of that as somebody on my own because it was always the two of us and he was the engine. Um, so I just appreciate so much that you shared that and that you got to meet him. He really was a unique soul. And, and, um, and so he played I, me I'm so glad you said that. He plays, plays <laughs> yeah. <had> written, <laughs> and they had, they had an edge on him, man. They were, they were, I said, okay, right. I mean, it was committed. So, I mean, you know, the songs were whispering to him too. He was, he was bringing it in a way that uh, it's like, whoa. I want to step back, man, because you you're coming with a lot of energy with this, and 
I love it. Mm. As far as grief and songs, um, it it was uh, writing that book, Chinaberry Sidewalks, was a long process of catharsis, and and it also in the five years that I mentioned earlier was I spent a lot of time in a room with uh, a really fine therapist. And, uh, and there was a lot that needed to be healed. And uh, I had the blessing of, of, you know, my father died in my arms and my mother died with me rubbing her feet. And it was, it was such a great blessing in my life, both situations. And I couldn't do anything but write about, you know, I, I, one song, I Know Love Is All I Need, that I wrote, it was, I was making the Houston Kid, the album, which had a lot to do with the dysfunction of my family. And, uh, and this, is, this is the creative process. It can be mis- misinterpreted, but I was close to being finished with the album. And then one night I had this vivid dream. Both of my parents were gone. But they came to me in this dream, and they were so present and articulate. And they, they set me down, and they said, Hey, we like this record you're making, but you're not telling the whole story. And I, and I kind of wisecracked. I said, Oh, yeah? Well, enlighten me then. What am I missing here? And then they shot me with these lightning bolts and cartoon stuff, and I stepped back and 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 I woke up, and I wrote down this song called I Know Lo- I, and I, I have kept a guitar by the bed, and I started playing it, and I recorded it, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> I've heard about this happening. This is the only time it ever happened to me. So the next day, you know, or, or the days following, I said, well, I had this dream. You know, it's like it, it, my my parents get come from the other side to visit me to help me finish up this album maybe uh that's you know i can go there but i really think that what happened was the archetypal you you mentioned archetype that i knew in my subconscious that the album wasn't complete and it needed redemption in order for me to tell this story of of dysfunction it's no good to leave, you know, for a narrative to leave your audience hanging. You got to take them to redemption if you're going to show them the dysfunction. And I re- and I realized I said it's it's the uh, creative process just coming to me in 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 my sleep state and say here's here's the thing you need. This is how you need to finish this up, and, and then it'll be a done deal. It just used the archetype of my parents coming to see me. So. That was, you know, one way to express grief. But I I must say in that song, I had already, the process of grieving for my lost parents had already, it was healed in me by the time I got to there. But it, it took a minute, you know, it took a minute to honor. I mean, you know, grief, it exists in its own time zone and it's, and it, you know, it's like if if you think you're going to go sit down with your favorite therapist and say, okay, look, you know, it's two o'clock now and I've got to be finished with this grief by 
by four o'clock on Thursday, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It has, you it's, know, it's a, you can't put that parameter on it. it. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not, it's not here and now. My mom always says like, yeah, when, when you're grieving or losing someone, your heart breaks open and what's wrong with that? Like, that means you've got all this love that's true. Like it's your truest self because you're reduced to like who you really are. And that, that hurt and that anguish is really more our, where we are truly resting if we're not all covered up with daily unimportant things, right? When you think about like the importance of life, uh, it's usually not all the things we fill our days with, but the brokenhearted uh, compassion that we can have for others and, and for ourselves during times of grief, it really is illuminated. So I, I, I've always thought that and I agree with you, it's, it's completely non, non-linear and, and just important that it happens at some point so you can, you know, honor the person. And that's something that's always been really important to me is how do you, you know, continue to honor and create a legacy for those who have passed. It's, it's, there's a beautiful quote I have, and I, I recited all, uh, I recited, I don't know if I've shared it on this podcast, but I've shared it on others. I'm going to share it with you now because it just, um, makes me totally think of my brother. Um, and it is, uh, from Henry David Thoreau. And it says on the death of a friend, we should consider that the fates through confidence have devolved on us the task of a double living that we have henceforth to fulfill the promise of our friend's life also in our own to the world. Mm. Henry David Thoreau. I love that quote, but, um, but you need authenticity to do that, and you need to get to the truth of your grief and loss to do that, right? Um, it's, yeah. it's nothing about grief is surface, and that goes back to authenticity and really being uh, finding and being in awareness. Well, I'm excited to be here, too, to talk about your upcoming LP triage. Do you want to share with us a little bit about that process? Yeah, triage. Uh, it started with a song. Um friend of mine was, you may know him, uh, Joe Henry, songwriter, producer. He's produced several of the albums I've made. Sweetheart of a guy. Really wonderful dude. He was facing some serious health issues and doing it with great aplomb, really open, really expressing his fear, just how daunting it was, his worry for his family. It's just like he opened up, he just opened up and said, Look, here's what I'm going through, man. He says, this is scary stuff. And it was it was brave, you know, and it inspired me. So I, I started writing down verses. I was down in the Caribbean having a, a, a time with, with my wife. We were just having fun. But I was writing, writing, writing because I wanted to make a song for my friend. And it turned into this song, Triage. And, and basically, that's where the album started. And, you know, to to bring this, you know, put this in, is, I, I can't do sound bites very well, but I'll try. The album Triage, from my perspective, and I think the center intentionality of the album is, look, we have this so-called divide going on. It's very real. It is, you know, this cultural divide is very real. And... Uh, I don't like that. 
But here's something, let's get bigger. We all may, you know, we may, there may be this divide, but we have to come to understand something. We all share this planet. And this planet is very generous. And I can walk out, I got a vegetable garden. I can put some seeds in the ground. It'll grow tomatoes, it'll grow corn. Whatever you want, it'll grow. This planet is the perfect host. And collectively, humanity treats it like a trash heap most of the time. So that was what I wanted to get at. I mean, that's the gist of my message about triage. We've got to put in order the things that we need to do to do our part beyond politics and everything. Is this. We, The one thing we all share, if we all come to our senses, is this planet. Now, having said that, when you start going there, if you you can't, you know, it's show, don't tell. You can't preach. You know, I don't want to preach. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't enjoy myself preaching. But I was swinging pretty high up there to try to articulate my relationship to all creation. You know, it's, I'm not a religious man. I don't have a religious, but I do have a spiritual life. And my spiritual life is very much grounded in the earth. And I try to I try to ground my songs that I was expressing, you know, toward that higher being, that higher center, that one creator, if indeed that's what it is. I don't have all the answers, but I feel it. And triage, here's let's get our priorities together. I can't tell anybody out there how that's going to happen, but I can try to show my side of how I feel about it and hope it resonates. And that's a what I think the album is in a nutshell. That's That was my next, that's the other question I ask every artist, which is what is your form of activism? And in a way, it sounds like the record encapsulates but i but i do want to still ask you that if there's something specific whether it's an organization or a cause or something that you champion um in the broader sense in the vast sense of why we're here well in in a practical my fundraising that i do is is pretty it's it's uh Music Health Alliance, which is a, a, a non-profit organization that addresses every possible health situation for our brothers and sisters who make music. And it's, it serves anybody who makes it. And, and that's a wonderful group of, of people who are, you know, they've, they've gone so far as to, to get nearly 70 million dollars in health related debt paid down just because they know where where the money's hidden and how to get to it so i help them and i I help raise money for them and then you know the crusade that i'm on is you know bill gates is already bill gates is at the front of it you know with his book you know how to avoid a climate catastrophe Hmm. i mean it's you know so and you know, from there, there there's so much, so many ways that you can you can find out practically what needs to happen, and then you can be in, 
<laughs> you can be inspired by my teacher, the octopus. There's a lot of ways to get in touch with, with the beauty of, of, our, of creation and, and what it is. And, you know, in my day-to-day, -day, I, I talk to people about it. You know, just mm. say, God, don't you love this, this planet we live on? It's just so sweet. <laughs> we must take care. So I, if, if my fundraising is real practical for, for brothers and sisters in the business, but my dream is for a healthy planet. Mine too. Gosh, I mean, it's the, the, my brother used to say, it's like, it's actually the life support system. It's our life support system. Uh, and, and so like, how can we not do everything we can to help Mother Earth and, and stay alive? Like, that should be our number one priority. It's not a cause. It's our life support system, you know? Yeah. And so, uh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for sharing so deeply about your life. And I know that you're kind enough to launch an artist today, which is, I, I want you to introduce him and then we'll bring him in if that's okay. Okay, yeah, with, with, with pleasure. This, this is a young man who I had the pleasure of working with uh, producing an album. His name is Vincent Neil Emerson. And he's the real thing. He is, uh, he's, he's, from Texas, Fort Worth, and he's done his homework. He, uh, he done his homework in the way that you know he's paid attention to those that have gone before the, the Towns Van Zants and Guy Clarks of the world. And his record really shows it. He, he writes beautiful songs. He plays and sings, and I want everybody to know about it because he's bringing the real stuff. Hi, Vincent. Welcome to Launch Left. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Just so happy to have you here and, and curious how you met Rodney and what your experience together has been like collaborating. Well, I met Rodney through a uh, uh, mutual friend. Uh, someone sent him some of the new songs that I was writing at the time for this record that I'm about to put out. And uh, he uh, wanted to produce it. So that's how I met him. And uh, he's been he's been nothing but a, a mentor and a, just a good friend through this whole process. So I'm, I'm really glad I met Rodney. You guys, Rodney, you produced this record. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, I did. And uh, we went in, you know, it was during the pandemic, too. You know, we uh, we masked yeah. up and went into the studio and socially distanced and uh, had a small enough group around. And it's it's all acoustic. And uh, and Vincent sang, and the musicians played, and we recorded it. And it's it's a it's a lovely record. It's 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 all live. It's all live. Mu it's human beings playing music, and <laughs> and it's it all revolves around the song. And and Vincent was bringing the song right down the middle, and and the musicians were responding to it. it, it you know, that's a kind of I mean, you feel that when it happens in the music. But, uh, you know, as T-Bone Burnett once said, I want you to lay down the law. Well, Vincent laid down the law on 11 tracks, and we got it on tape. And I know, Vince, you said you're happy you met Rodney, but, like, do you feel um, 
after having met him and worked with him, that it's changed the way that uh, you think about music or um, or given you some more tools or just excited or felt seen more because you have someone as cool as Rodney uh, got your back? <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's uh, He's been really encouraging uh, with my songwriting. He guided me a little bit um, when I was finishing up a couple tunes, but you know, uh, yeah, just being around someone like Rodney Crowell definitely will influence you in a positive way. I think. How you, doing, Rodney? By the way, <laughs> well, you know, you helped me with my street cred, man. So it, it's a fair <laughs> trade-off. Thank you both so much. Hey, I'm Rodney Crowell, and I want to launch Vincent Neil Emerson with his new song. Learning to drown. I've been sleeping in my car Been moving fast But it seems I ain't gone far And I can't believe All what I am And what I used to be I'm barely a man And living hard Well my father killed himself But my mother hit the bar Ain't it funny Ain't it funny how the world has set you free I spend my whole life wondering why I'm down I don't feel easy if the blues don't come around in my face Don't look right without a frown Well, if you can't swim, you better learn to drown Well, I've been stealing all my meals I've been getting by Every time the well runs dry I tell myself If it don't kill me Then I guess I'll never die Well, I've been acting like a mule Cause I'd rather hear you laugh Gonna be here with my mind and all my thoughts Well, I guess I'll always be the laughing fool I spend my whole life wondering why I'm down I don't feel easy if the blues don't come around in my face Don't look right without a frown Well, if you can't swim Better learn to drown
thought about closing the door And ending it all like my father did before But it ain't worth all the people who won't see me anymore There ain't much that lasts too long All the rights that I took wrong All the lefts that still ain't gone They will be here Hearing my sad bastard song I spend my whole life Wondering why I'm down I don't feel easy If the blues don't come around don't look right without a frown Well, if you can't swim You better learn to drown Launchleft aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launchleft begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 